You know, sometimes I, I lie awake at night and I'm exhausted from my day and there's nothing more that I want than to be able to, to escape the day and escape all of the stress of the day and just all of the emotion of the day and to go and to go to sleep. But I'm lying there awake and I, I can't find sleep. And there are moments when I just feel like I want to throw in the towel. I, I just can't do this anymore. And yet I know that's not an option. I can't throw in the towel. And, and yet I also know that I don't have the strength or the energy to keep going on, that going on like this isn't an option either. And so I find myself in this place where I'm, where I'm stuck, where I, I don't have enough. I don't, I don't have enough strength or reserves or energy to keep going. And I also don't have enough strength or reserves or energy to, to change things up, to somehow make my life different. And so I, I feel completely stuck and maybe even hopeless. And, and I try to do the things that I know to do. I, I try to cultivate gratitude and think about the things that give me joy. I picture my kids' faces or I remind myself that this is only for a season. And, and it's true. I know that it's only ever just for a season. And yet sometimes it's just not enough. And so I lie awake exhausted, done, wanting to escape into sleep, but even, even sleep won't give me a, an escape. Now, if you've never felt that way, maybe you're sitting there thinking, bro, you sound depressed. Um, and uh, you might be right, but I, I think this is just life. This is, this is just living sometimes. And I would turn the tables and I would say that if you've never felt like this, then I wonder if you're doing life right, frankly. I wonder if you are, are seriously pursuing the life that God is calling you to live. Because if you try to pursue the life that God called you to live, then it, that's not easy. It's a blessed life, but it's not an easy life. Sometimes it's exhausting. There's friction that is created in that life. And, uh, and, and it'll wear you down sometimes. Or if you've never felt that way, I wonder if you're an emotionally honest person. Because we all know denial is a powerful drug and a lot of us take it all the time. But here's what I know, that even the most devout, godly, faith-filled people, even they find themselves in situations and seasons like the one I just described to you. Uh, today we're going to continue on in the series answering your questions in a few minutes on this topic of where is God when I'm at the end of my rope. And you can write that number down or you can send your question in now. It'll come back later. But today we're also going to look at another psalm. And, and psalms are a book of the Bible, a section of the Bible that is a compilation of all these poems or songs. We're going to look at another psalm of David, King David. And I don't know if you know this about King David, but you should. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, and you can hold on to this, that King David was a man who was given a title by God, and the title wasn't just king. The title was that David was a man after God's own heart. So God looked at David, and he said, there's a man after my own heart, which means that if anyone was doing life right, if anyone was doing faith right, if anyone had the relationship with God, their relationship with God right, it was David. Because God said, there's a man after my own heart. And yet David finds himself in a moment like the moment I've been describing for you today, and we're going to look at that moment in Psalm 42. 
and I, I wonder if you'll be able to relate. So Psalm 42, page 560 in your Bible here in the room, and uh, I know the words are going to be up here. Sometimes just having your Bible open can be helpful because I move on and I'm talking about something else, and, and uh, you need to check back and reference that. So you can look at that there where the words are up here. David says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. Now, I, I, I've heard this psalm a lot in my life, and I used to think this was just really a, a beautiful image of a, of a deer panting for water and streams and this poor deer. And then I moved to West St. Louis County, where the deer are everywhere, and I feel differently about deer and frankly feel differently about this psalm. It's not quite so majestic and beautiful. I feel some anger welling up in me at the deer mowing down my landscaping. But, um, but I, I can go back and I can remember how I used to hear this. David saying, as a deer's panting for streams of water, thirsty, so thirsty, he says, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Do you hear the longing in David? He's remembering a time in his life when, when God was there and he was supplying what he needed and, and he was thirsty and God would supply it and he could go to the tabernacle, he could go to the house of God and he could, he could go there with joy and celebrate and praise God and he could live there under the protection of God. He, he could find solace there. And now David's in a different season where he's longing for that. He's thirsty for that. He's longing for God to provide for him. And yet th- there's, no, there's no provision. God doesn't seem to be giving him what he needs. Instead of finding streams of water that will quench his thirst, David is quenching his thirst by his tears. Do you hear that? And so he's in this place of, of deep, deep longing. Now we know that uh, in this time of David's life, what he's actually going through is, is he's running for his life from King Saul, the previous king who wants to kill him. And so David, he's, he's too humble and, um, and respectful to raise his hand and fight back against Saul. So he's on the run constantly. He's far from home. He can't go and worship at the tabernacle. So he's moving from place to place. And this is a long season and he doesn't know when it's going to end. And he's tired, and he's worn out, and he's thirsty for the consolation of God, and yet he's not able to find it. And I'm going to go on, and I'm just, I'm just going to read the rest of this psalm. And there may be a few names or places that you don't understand. I'm going to resist the temptation to try to explain it. Instead, I just, I just want you to hear David's emotion, and I want you to search your own life, your, your own soul right now and see if any of this rings true for you. He goes on, he says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul though is, is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning 
oppressed by the enemy. My bones suffer, suffer mortal agony and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. It's a powerful question. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. And and you hear David, right, going back and forth, back and forth. And he's in anguish and he's suffering and he's got these, these dark, depressed, maybe even suicidal thoughts. And then in the next moment, he's crying out. And he's going, no, 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 come on, David. Come on, David. Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. I will yet praise him. He will come through for me. And, and then he's back and, and, and he's feeling the anguish and he's, and he's back to this declaration of hope, back and forth, back and forth. And then the psalm ends. Unresolved. Which begs the question, Where is God when I'm at the end of my rope? What is he doing? What is he up to? What can I learn when when I'm there? And what am I supposed to do when I find myself at the end of my rope? I I think we learn, even though the psalm feels very unresolved, I actually think we learn quite a few things. The first thing is stop trying to do it alone. When you're at the end of your rope, stop trying to do it alone. And I don't know if this is true for all of us, but it's definitely true for me that often when I find myself here, if I take an honest look at my life, what I realize is that I've been trying to do life without my community and without God. And you see, we can fall into the trap of, of living life pretty, in a pretty manageable way when life is manageable. And so we, we learn to live saying to God, hey, it's okay, I got this. And we, and we kind of we keep God out here. And then... We either get tired or the intensity of life gets cranked up on us and and, and we're feeling the pain of it and we cry out, God, where are you? Where are you in this? And the answer is he is about an arm's length away because that's where you put him and you aren't letting him get any closer. See, so often we learn to live life this way. We just kind of do it and we, we learn to manage on our own. And then there come seasons in life where this doesn't work for us anymore. And we've got to stop trying to do it alone. And maybe that's, maybe that's what you, you need to learn today. But maybe that's not. Maybe that's not it for you. Maybe you're someone who is fully inviting God in. You're crying out to him like David. And, uh, and, and so for you, I'd say maybe it's this. When you're at the end of your rope, get okay with not being okay. Get okay with not being okay. And I hope you realize that in our our present day world, in our modern world, we are not okay with people not being okay. (laughs) You following me? And yet in the ancient world, specifically in ancient Israel, not being okay was just part of life. When you were not okay in ancient Israel, do you know what you would do? You would tear your clothes and walk around in public with torn clothes. And that was your way of telling everyone, hey, don't be confused right now. I'm, I may, you may think I'm okay. You may, you may just kind of gloss over this. I am not okay right now. Or in ancient Israel, they also had special clothes that they would put on called sackcloth. I always thought of it as like burlap, really rough clothes, but it's actually made from goat's hair. And they'd put on this sackcloth and they would smear ashes on their foreheads. And, and they would go into a, in a public, in this place, in this public sphere, in, in, a, in, a, in a posture of mourning. And again, that was their way of saying to people, hey, 
I'm not okay right now. Now think how far we have moved from that as a culture of being okay with not being okay. See, nowadays, if if the person who works next to you, if, if your spouse, if you hear them sigh more than three times in an hour, you're like, you need to get on antidepressants. What's wrong with you? Right? Um, we, have, we have little tolerance for people who are not okay. And yet here you have David, and he's writing this, this psalm, this uh, song, this poem, this angsty poem about, about eating his tears. His tears are his food, and he's in sadness day and night, and there's no consolation. And, and he sounds like a teenager, Right? And we permit that of our teenagers. We permit them to be angsty and a little depressed and confused. But, but we don't allow full-grown men to act this way. And yet David's putting it out there. And, and see, our, our way of looking at this, it's to our detriment. It is to our detriment. When you're not okay, it's okay. Because you're, you'll encounter things in life that are too much for you. And you need to be okay with declaring that. And, and you shouldn't have to live life worried about the disapproval of other people if you acknowledge or let them see that you're not okay. You can see here clearly, and I find so much comfort in this, that God is okay with us not being okay. That David wrote this song where he's clearly not okay, and God preserved that, and and he had it handed down so that thousands of years later, we are reading it just, just to let us know that God is okay with this. God is okay with this. We are not, but God is. And sometimes I wonder, um, does God leave us at the end of our rope because he's trying just to let us know that it's okay to not be okay sometimes? Or third, when you're at the end of the rope, what do you do? Well, well you keep an eye out for God. You, you learn to do that. Even while you're acknowledging that you're not okay, you keep an eye out for God. You, you keep the door open for God. And so you hear David going back and forth, talking about how hopeless he feels, how sad he feels, and yet he keeps saying, come on, come on, my soul. Come on, David, pull it together. Trust in God. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. He's your savior. He'll come through. And David is learning in the middle of not being okay and, and wrestling with his circumstances. He's learning how to keep an eye open for God, for his activity, for his movement. And see, here's what I believe about the times in life when we're at the end of our rope. I believe that God, you say, where are you, God? I I believe that God is there. I believe that he's active. In fact, I think that it is only in these moments, in these times in our lives when we're at the end of our rope, that God can do certain things. I believe there's a special kind of activity that God is, is involved in when we're in this place at the end of our rope, and it only happens when we're there. He only shows up and does these certain things when we are in this place of being at the end of our rope. I, I want to close with this today, that when you're at the end of your rope, I believe it's only then that God can do these things, that he's teaching you, that you are able to learn first that you're stronger and your reserves are deeper than you think. How many times do you find yourself and you're like, I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do this another moment. I can't go on another moment. And then another moment ticks away on the clock and you're still doing it. And you discover something about yourself. You discover that, oh, maybe there's more strength in here than I thought. Or you think this, you know, this relationship can't handle one more moments of stress 
one more moment of stress, and then it does, and you realize that your relationships are stronger or deeper than you thought. And you would never, ever know that. You would constantly be pulling the margin back. You would never know that until you were at the brink and you saw you saw that you were able to stand even beyond past your breaking point you were able to stand. You learn that you're stronger and your reserves are deeper than you think. I think it's also only when you're at the end of your rope that you learn that God's provision is enough. That God's provision is enough. See, for most of our lives, we want to live, we expect to live in abundance with our tank full with enough money in the bank, with our pantry stocked. And when we live that way, we never learn what it really is to rely on God. We never learn to understand just, just that he's a provider. And we kind of, you know, in an, in an abstract way understand, oh yeah, well, God gave me all this stuff. But we never really learn what a provider he is until we're at the end of our rope and we see his provision. I love the way Proverbs 30 puts it. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Just wonder, would many of you pray this? (laughs) Maybe the first part, give me neither poverty and that's it. Uh, But give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Why? Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? I mean, I I don't need him, I'm doing fine. Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, see, few of us are willing to pray this way. Just give me enough, God. Just give me my daily bread. Give me only what I need for this moment. That makes us so uncomfortable because that's the place in life where you have to trust. Where you can't just go to your pantry and trust in your pantry or your bank account or your own emotional reserves. That's when you have to fall on your knees and say, God, I need you to come through for me because I've got no other, I've got no other option here. That's it. And, and again, few of us ever learn the power of this of what it is to actually rely on God. But when you're at the end of your rope, when you're at the end of your rope and you've got nothing left and you see God show up and provide and not just take you out of that season and not provide abundance, but provide just enough moment by moment, I think that's that's when you learn that he he is worth your reliance. He is worthy of it. That he is a good father. That you can trust him. I think it's only then that you realize how tender and timely and good his provision is. And I think it's only when you're at the end of your rope that God is there, he's present, and he's teaching you that growth is more important than comfort. See, I just got to be blunt. We value comfort way more than God does. And we value abundance way more than God does. We value happiness way more than God does. Those, those can be good things, but we value them way more than God does. See, God, above all, values growth. And it's only when you're at the end of your rope, when things are not comfortable, when, 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 when you're afraid, when things are, are, are tense and difficult, it's there often that God does his best work, his best work of growth in us. And we get to learn, we get to realize that there are things that are better than comfort. Growth is one of those things. And so while life doesn't always feel good, sometimes even when it doesn't feel good, it is good. God is doing good things. But you'd never know that, you'd never believe that if you didn't find yourself there 
and see God do a work of growth in you. And, and I've seen this, people who've experienced horrible things and you wonder, how on earth can you make it through that? And they look back at those things and they say, man, not, not only did, did I discover I was stronger in my relationships and my community were stronger, not only did I discover that God is a provider and he provided for me moment by moment in real time, but, but they see the growth that God accomplished in that season and they say, I would never ever trade that again. See, the question for us today, it's not really like, where is God? when I'm at the end of my rope, because he's there and he's doing this stuff. The question is, when you're at the end of your rope, can you, like David, can you command your soul to hope in him? I'll take your questions. 636-686-0140. Oh, hey. How do I get past worrying about what others think, pleasing others instead of myself? at the end of my rope trying to do this. Ah, oh, man. Um, this, this, uh, this is a hard topic overall um, because when you're dealing with, you're dealing with people who are distraught and emotional. And, uh, and so I don't really know fully what is all baked into this. I know there's a lot here. Um, here's what I can say as, as a universal, universal principle, um, that when you're at the end of your rope, sometimes it's a good thing Uh, Sometimes that is the only thing that gets us to finally let go, to change our behavior, to stop doing things that, that, are, that are just bringing too much pain in our life. So if, if you're, um, if you're uh, someone who's worried about what others think, um, a lot of us live life that way. And I think God in his mercy is good enough sometimes to let us run into a brick wall um, so that we get to this place where we go, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore because God doesn't want you to live that way. He doesn't want you to do that anymore. And sometimes it's only when you come to an end of yourself, an end of your strength, you come to the end of your rope, that you go, I'm done. I, I've, got to, I've, got to change, I've got to change this about myself. So this place that you're in, although it may feel uncomfortable, it can be. And again, I don't know what God's doing. I don't understand the circumstances. And uh, I, this is just, this is a maybe. Um, but it may be that uh, what God is doing right now is he's trying to make doing this so painful because he wants to take you into something else. And, um, and, and, and the way I would tweak this is it's true that God doesn't want you to worry about what others think or pleasing others. Um, but what God wants you to learn is what it looks like to live a life focused on pleasing him, not yourself. Um, and, I, you know, growing up for a long time, that was a confusing thing to me because pleasing God seemed like it would be the opposite of pleasing myself. If I please God, that's just one more person to keep happy and I'm going to be miserable. The longer I live, the longer I'm on this journey, the more I realize that if I focus on doing the things that God has asked me to do, um, that's not really about pleasing him. He's already pleased with me through Jesus. What happens instead is, is, uh, is when, I, when I live my life doing the things that he's asked me to do, um, that's where I, that's where I find wholeness and rest. That's when life starts getting good. Not easy, but good. So uh, this is a good place to be. I think if instead you can focus on the fact that just like we sang in that song, it's true, that through Jesus, God is pleased with you. He delights in you. Um, and if you can make your focus instead saying, hey, I just want to live the way God has invited me and instructed me to live, what you will find is that is a pleasing way to, uh, to live your own life. Okay, they're pushing me. All right. They're like, too long, Dion, move on. So um, I suffer from generalized anxiety disorder and clinical depression. 
Why does God let me and other people suffer from these mental illnesses? What is his purpose in giving us them? Uh, you know, I can't, uh, I can't, again, there, there's a lot here. I can't say definitively what God is doing there. I can't. And uh, anyone who tries to say definitively, this is what God's doing, you should just not listen to them because they don't know. Um, there was a guy named Job whose friends did this to him. He's going through some hard times and they're like, this is what's happening. And uh, at the end of the book of that, of that part of the Bible, God just silences all of them and says, you know, don't listen to those people. So never listen to anyone who, who says definitively what's going on. But again, I can offer you a maybe. And this is just a, a hypothesis. God, God is the one who reveals these specific things. And your reasons may be different uh, than mine or anyone else's. Uh, a clarifier here that, that God doesn't give us these things, right? He, he lets us, he lets us have these things, but he doesn't give them. So it's a more passive role. It's, it's not an active role. Our broken bodies, our broken biology, our broken world, trauma that happens to us, to us in life, that's what gives us things like this. But it's true that God permits us to, uh, to wrestle with these things. He doesn't just come and heal all of us. He may heal some, but that's not universal. He doesn't do that for all of us. And, and here's the thing that I'm learning, and maybe this will be helpful to you. Uh, I'm learning that in my deepest struggles, my most frustrating struggles, the things that I wish could go away, I'm learning that God is at work in those things. And I'm learning to be okay with not being okay. And I'm learning that, that God in his mercy, he didn't give me this stuff, but in these things, he's working something out, not only for my good, but often for the good of people around me. Just imagine for a second how annoying it would be if you had a perfect pastor who had no struggles. I'm serious. Wouldn't that be annoying? You don't have one, by the way, in case you're, that's, that's not me, but, but right? If, it, it would be frustrating. It would be out of touch. It would be annoying. And I think, I think part of the reason that God allows us to contend with, with, uh, with these things it's so that we learn to see our situation not through the eyes of the world, but through the eyes of faith that are always asking the question of, God, not are you at work, but how are you at work in this? That allow us to see our greatest struggles. And, and man, I've, I've got my own struggles, but allow us to see our greatest struggles as things that God is, is redeeming and he's bringing beauty out of those things for you and for people around you. Um, you know, to, to allow your, to see your suffering as, uh, as something that, that, uh, that, that isn't a sign that you're forsaken, but it's actually something that God is using to bring, to bring up beauty and wholeness to people around you in the world. And so um, a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I challenged people to think of the thing that was the biggest struggle in their life and write it down. And then at the end of it, I said, can you give thanks for that thing? So uh, can you give thanks for your anxiety disorder and your clinical depression? Most of us would say, no way. Why would I give thanks for that? Uh, and I would say you can give thanks for that because you know that in these circumstances that God permits you to rest in, he's doing something in the struggle. He's doing something for you. So can you thank God? Not that you suffer from these things, but can you thank God for the struggle and for what he's doing in it? I think often that's, that's the thing we're missing. We just want God to make us whole tomorrow and he's gonna make us whole someday. I think another reason he leaves us Suffering is so that we remember that this world is not it. So that our hope stays in Jesus' return and the resurrection of the flesh and the life everlasting, a new heaven and a new earth. Otherwise, we could get way too comfortable in this world. And these things are a reminder that we are created for something better. And even though Jesus has died and risen and he's gone back to heaven and he's reigning over everything, something better is coming and it keeps our longing there. Okay. My earthly father looked at me and said, I do not love you.
before he passed away? Where was God when my heart was ripped out? Um, again, I, I don't know the circumstances of this. I don't know if that was just a, a bitter man, if that was uh, someone who was not well, um, not mentally stable, uh, if that's just a hurting person, a spiteful person, whatever that is, I'm, I'm sorry whether you're in the room or whether you're texting from online. I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry for that. That also rips my heart out. The thing I know about God is that um, he's a gentleman, and so he doesn't force any of us to do things that we don't want to do. He, he, he coaxes, he um, compels, but he doesn't force. And that means that he, he doesn't make earthly fathers be good. He doesn't force his, his, uh, his way on them. And so um, what I would say is when that happened, God was standing beside you grieving, uh, grieving that hurt and pain, knowing that's, that's not what he wants for you. But I believe in that moment, he was also making you a promise that he can teach you what a real father is, is supposed to be like. And that's why he sent his son into the world. I mean, in Jesus, we see this great reversal, right? Um, that, that the father is doing something so good and Jesus comes so open-hearted and he's preaching this message of love and people hated him for it. They crucified him for it. They said, we do not love you. We hate you. We want you and everything you stand for to go away. And yet, and yet the father, Jesus, they maintain this disposition of love toward us. And so in that moment, um, the father was there weeping, grieving, this is not what fathers should do. And yet he was making a promise to you that he can love you better than any earthly father could, even the best earthly father. And I think he was uh, inviting you into his love to experience the restoration, even though this will always be a wound you carry to experience the restoration of his love. Wow. How am I supposed to seek help when I, have, when I just have a bunch of negative relationships around me that are no help to me at all? I know that's a frustrating place to be. I also feel like in the question itself, you have your answer. You need some different relationships. And so, um, you know, in being a part of a church, that's one of the gifts of being a part of a church. That's why we don't all just do this sitting at home in front of our computer. It's not just about hearing the word or the message. It's about coming together and finding relationships here. Um, and so this is not a good way to live, right? This is not what God wants for you. Um, that doesn't mean you, you wash your hands of all these people. I don't know who these people are in your life, but I think you contend with and, and deal with negative people in your life, especially if they're, they're people that you've had a, a lot of history with, or if they're close family. But I think you also need to, I know you also need to add people to your life who don't fit this paradigm. Make room for that in your life. So, you know, I stand up here and I say, hey, come to small group network, or uh, to Getting Connected, it used to be called small group networking night. Come to Getting Connected or come to Getting Started and, and, and find relationships or, or come to Oktoberfest if you're a guy or come to the next women's event or, or show up and mentor. And, and you hear that as like, oh, the pastor wants me to do something. And, you know, they're, they're trying to get me to do stuff. I don't want to. <laughs> the powerful thing about being a part of a church is that you can find relationships that aren't perfect, but that, that, are, that are positive, life-giving 
relationships. And so that's what I'd encourage you to do. And I know it takes a lot of courage. That's why I say encourage you, because it it requires courage for you to form new relationships. But if you're ever going to experience any kind of wholeness or relief in your life, you need to find relationships that are that are positive and supportive. And maybe there's someone sitting around you that you kind of know, but but you're not close enough with them. My my bet is if you could summon the courage to ask a, a strong Christian person who seems to be a, you know, a, a positive, strong person, if, if you, even if you don't know them, you say, hey, I know you don't know me, but we kind of know each other because we sit by each other in church or, or you know, we work together and, and I just need some support in my life right now because uh, I'm not going through an easy time and, and I just see strength in you. Can I talk to you sometime? Can I, can I buy you a cup of coffee and can we just talk? I bet you in most cases, if they're a strong, supportive person, they're going to say yes. And you would be surprised the kind of healing and encouragement God can give over an hour and a cup of coffee. And if you don't know anyone in your life or that seems too scary, um, you know, call one of your pastors. And if you can be patient, we can make some time and, uh, and we can do this. But, but the point is, the, the pain of this is, yeah, there's, there's some people in your life that you just need to ask for help. The other thing that I know I do in life too often is that when I'm, when I'm in a bad place, I assume that everyone around me knows. So, so maybe these people are all caught up in their own stuff and they're negative and, and that's because they look at you and they think you're fine. And to you, you feel like you're showing them like, I'm falling apart here and, and they honestly don't know that. And so some of it may be like going, hey, I need support here. And, and saying it in such a clear and obvious way that they say, oh, we didn't know. And of course you're thinking like, what do you mean you didn't know? It's like so obvious and you're too caught up in your own self and that may all be true. But sometimes it's just helping the people in your life understand that, that hey, you need support. And so again, I don't know your circumstances, but maybe you've never, maybe you've never articulated that. They cut me off. So, um, Today I realized that uh, this is, uh, you know, we've, we've hit some sensitive stuff here today. And if you're someone who is at the end of your rope, um, here's what I have for you. I don't have answers. I don't have advice. Here's what I have for you. Um, at the end of the service, we're, we're in just a minute going to conclude our service with communion. And so here's what I have for you if you're at the end of your rope. I have, I have the strength and the forgiveness, the consolation and the power of God given to you through the body and blood of Jesus. And if there's anything that can help you stand in the middle of this season that you're living in, it is that. As we prepare ourselves to receive this, I'm going to invite you to stand. And together, out of the Psalms, we're going to speak a, a word of confession. The Psalms have, you know, songs of praise. They've got laments that we looked at today. Um, they've got, you know, people asking questions. One of the other things that they have are, are moments of, of confession. And the reason we confess is we're acknowledging our need, our need for God. And so I invite you, this is responsive. There's some parts that are you, some parts that are just me. I invite you to speak these words with me. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. This is for me. God, you do not delight in mere sacrifice or I would bring it. And you do not take pleasure in mere burnt offerings. Instead, my sacrifice, O oh God, 
is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, a life that is not okay, God, you will not despise. Say together, when my heart is right, then you rejoice in the good that I do and in the offerings I bring to sacrifice upon your altar. And I want you to know that when your heart is right, that's what the psalm says, that that doesn't mean being perfect. It doesn't mean being sinless. That, that what God desires, a heart that is right, is a heart that just acknowledges your incredible need for God. That acknowledges that things are not okay. And you, you need his strength. You need his forgiveness. You need his, his companionship or his comfort. That psalm says that when you, when you come to God like that, he finds that irresistible. It's not about your sinlessness or, or what you give or what you do or how you serve or how nice you are to people. That's, that's not what it's about. When you come to God needy and saying, God, I, I need you, he, is, he finds that irresistible. And so today, um, maybe you're at the end of your rope with a struggle. Um, maybe you're at the end of your rope with, uh, because of some sin in your life or some temptation or a relationship. If you come to God openly and earnestly, he will not despise. He, w- he will wrap his arms around you and give you not everything you need forever after, but what you need in this moment. 